But engagement letters are a no-brainer here. All this extra work, it should be in a scoped engagement letter. Get the authority from your client to act and advise. You're listening to Australia's podcast for accountants, Tax Talks, the podcast to grow your firm. Welcome to Update 28 of Text Talks. This is Heide Robson and thank you to Class for sponsoring this episode. This update is long overdue. We need to talk about COVID-19 business support payments in New South Wales, in Victoria, in Queensland, in South Australia, ACT, you name it. But in this first update, let's focus on New South Wales. Matthew Addison is the well-known Deputy Chairman and Executive Director of the Institute of Certified Bookkeepers lovingly referred to as ICB by BESS agents. In this episode, let's go through the conditions that apply to all three grants, so the business grant, job saver, and the micro-business grant. There's a set of conditions that applies to all three. Let's take those apart. Here's Matthew Addison of ICB. Look, the New South Wales grant system, it was progressive. They thought about it and they brought some new things to the table. But when, as soon as you bring new things to the table and alternates, it actually creates a little bit of complexity and confusion as well. So what we have for anybody in New South Wales, we need to distinguish between the individual and the business itself. So when we're talking about individuals, we're talking about employees or somebody that's on a payroll. So where it's a third party or an, an arm's length employee who's been stood down or lost hours, they go for the Services Australia disaster payment. Where you're a working director and as a director, you've been on payroll, you are eligible as an individual to look at the Services Australia disaster payment. That is separate from the three programs that are uh, now designed for the business themselves. So a business with an ABN can look at the business grant and what the business grant, as it was called, was about was of the first three weeks of lockdown in New South Wales. And it was a lump sum payment to a business for those first three weeks. And it's tiered. So there's a 7,500 payment, there's a 10,500 payment, and then with some extra proof, bigger businesses could get a $15,000 payment subject to the different levels of decline. That was the first three weeks. We also then have the micro business grant. And what New South Wales really did was recognise smaller businesses, businesses with a turnover of between 30,000 and 75,000, smaller businesses and able to sole traders. And that is also backdated to the start of the lockdown period. So backdated to 26 June. So for a very small business, you can't get the business grant, but you can get the micro business grant. Micro business grant continues on for that smaller business. So the thirty to seventy-five thousand dollar turnover, one and a half thousand dollars a fortnight, backdated to twenty-six June, it moves forward. A sole trader can get that micro business grant, but if a sole trader is getting the micro business grant, they cannot then go and get the disaster payment as an individual as well. For the bigger businesses, seventy-five thousand or above. Business grant gets you the first three weeks, 
And then you look at the Job Saver program. So the Job Saver program kicks in from week four and goes forward. And that's an amount of $1,500 per week up to now $100,000 per week. And the amount you get is subject to how big your New South Wales payroll is. So that gets us those, the, the different grants in place, Heidi. Just in summary, the disaster payment for individuals, including sole traders, as long as you have lost hours of paid work. Then we look at the business themselves. So you've got an ABN, and if you've got an ABN, a very small business, 30 to 75,000 turnover, go for the micro business grant. For those 75,000 and above, the business grant for the first three weeks, and then the job saver program kicks in after that. They could have just brought JobKeeper back. Do you know why they didn't go for a second round of JobKeeper? JobKeeper worked really well in March 2019. We actually needed the type of program it was last year. JobKeeper didn't, was not perfect. There's lots of businesses that will report to us their workers would not come back to work because the JobKeeper flow-through payment was worth more to them than if they'd come back to work. So there was problems with the JobKeeper program. It wasn't perfect. So for New South Wales government to think a little bit differently, to redesign their programs for the current environment, I think was really good of them. And so while we have different grants, we have now a grant, the micro business grant gets to a part of the market that JobKeeper didn't. All these payments, JobSaver, micro business, are also for non-employing businesses, whereas JobKeeper, you had to be on the payroll. Non-employing businesses can also get some of these grants. So there's a few reasons I'm quite happy they didn't go back to the JobKeeper. Having said that, I'd also say there was some definitions and some journeys we all went with the JobKeeper program. I would have liked them to have inherited in these new programs. Some of the definitions, some of the alternate tests, some of the refinements we got in JobKeeper were good refinements and they would have been great to have seen in the New South Wales programs. You mentioned before that to qualify for the $15,000 with a 70% drop in turnover that you require extra proof. What extra proof do you need to qualify for the $15,000? I thought the proof was the same no matter whether you have a drop of 30%, 50% or 70%. What they're doing is the two lower tiers, the 7,500 and 10,5,000. If you fill in the web form and you're what I'll call a clean skin, so you're able to answer all the questions, you put in your decline in turnover, you attach the uh, what is termed the accountant's letter, which both accountants and um, registered BAS agents can sign off on. You can attach that. You might flow through their system as a clean skin and you're able to get that. But what has evolved is in order to get the slightly larger amount, uh, there again are clean skin applications, but it does require a little bit more proof. So there is some additional documentation that this system asks you. What we're hearing, Heidi, is that the $10,500 payment is going through reasonably quickly. And then Services in New South Wales is making contact, asking for a bit of information or clarification, and then paying the balance 
between the 10 and a half up to the 15. So you'll get the first, the second tier automatically, but the third tier top up might be with a bit more uh, additional information. Do you know who pays what? I'm tempted to answer, Heidi. I don't care. There is a difference here between what the federal government funds and what the New South Wales government funds. There are deals done between the two governments. Even some of what the disaster payment that's going to individuals, some of that is funded by the Commonwealth, but some of the New South Wales residents, although you'll get it from Services Australia, it's actually being funded by the New South Wales government. So for instance, regional New South Wales people who might be getting the disaster payment, uh, it may actually be funded by New South Wales government, but you'll get it through the Commonwealth system. The business grants, there's a, a concept of a 50-50 split in some of this funding. Heidi, I think it's far too hard for us to know or want to get too much into the intricacies of who's funding what between the two governments. Now, quickly dissecting the conditions you need to fulfill for all three grants. Active ABN, I can imagine, is almost never an issue because it's the first thing you tend to get. However, operating in New South Wales on the 1st of June, I can imagine that would have caught quite a few people out. I'm thinking of a new cafe or restaurant that opened their doors on the 2nd or 3rd or 10th of June and then ran straight into the lockdown. Have you heard of businesses that were caught out by the 1st of June deadline? The 1st of June deadline? No, I haven't. So your example is spot on. Either there may be some new businesses that opened up in the month of June before the lockdown was declared and they will miss out, those ones within the, the first couple of weeks. The operating in New South Wales has been an interesting one because there's some ABNs that might be registered, for instance, in Queensland, but the business is actually located in New South Wales. And Services New South Wales allows you to submit to them rates notices or rent agreements to prove that you operate in New South Wales and you become eligible. So you need to have premises or employees in New South Wales. What about if you only have customers in New South Wales and hence you suffer a drop in turnover due to your New South Wales customers being in lockdown? So they're looking for those businesses that are based in New South Wales. You would need to show them that the business is based or employed or resident or the ABN is registered in New South Wales. If that is the case, then you'll be eligible for the grant. If you're actually based in Queensland and your customers are in New South Wales, yes. the grants won't apply to you. Oh, really? Okay. It's worth having a chat to Services New South Wales. If all your customers are based in New South Wales, but you're physically located somewhere else, it is worth having the discussion to see whether they will allow one of the alternate circumstances to apply. Yes, because I'm thinking of a business close to the um, New South Wales-Queensland border has 50% of their customers in New South Wales and hence has a drop in turnover of over 30%. They potentially don't qualify because they only had customers in New South Wales, but no business operations. Both the Queensland and New South Wales government have looked at some of those border communities and there's some specific grants that can apply to some of those populations that are on the borders of states. So uh, I would have a look at not one of these four grants that we've talked about, Heidi, but have a look at some of the border community support that has been put in place. And look, in terms of New South Wales, 
Both Queensland have done that, New South Wales done that, has done that, and Victoria has done that. The business grant and the micro-business grant don't require you to be an employer. The job saver does, correct? No, there is a job saver payment that still applies if you're a non-employing business. So if you're a, yeah, whatever structure you might be in, but you've got no employees, you can still apply, but it's clearly a, a limited amount. So it's $1,000 a week that applies to job saver. If you're an employing business, then it is worked on this 40% of your payroll. Okay, so sole traders who don't employ anybody else, but meet the other requirements. Sole traders would get $1,000 per week and then companies and trust with at least one employee, they would get at least $1,500 per week. Correct. Aggregated turnover. You need to have an aggregated annual turnover of over 75,000 if you want to go for the business grant or the job saver or 30,000 to 75,000 if you want to go for the micro business grant. Is that based on accrual or cash? It's based on your tax return. So how do you lodge your tax return? If your income tax return is prepared on a cash basis, then those turnover numbers are cash. If your income tax return is based on accrual basis reporting, then you report and do that calculation there based on your income tax return. And as you see, it's the 30 June 2020 year that they're looking at. And if your business has started so that that year was not a full year, you can use alternate information to show them your level of turnover. Okay. So it's basically whatever turnover you lodged in your tax return, whatever that is, be it cash or accrual, whatever number they have, that is the number that they will go for to see whether you had at least $75,000 or $30,000 of turnover. Yep. Correct. The next requirement is that you have business costs for which there was no government support available. And you just need $1 that wasn't covered by government support, correct? To tick this box. So just remember, this is aimed to support all the costs of running a business. And what the specific call out about no other government support available, in New South Wales for a while now, we've had a a government fees and rebates grant. So that if you were subject to paying government fees, you could go for this grant to cover or get a refund of those government fees. So you're not allowed to claim these grants to cover costs that have already been supported by another government grant. But what we're talking about here is every cost of running a business. So we're talking about the rent, we're talking about labor, we're talking about the energy costs, we're talking about the office costs, anything that, that it costs you, it could even be the purchases of materials, any cost can be supported by each of the micro business grant, the business grant or the job saver program. Yes. So this is not really a condition that is hard to meet because you will always have business costs. To meet the uh, turnover of 30,000 or 75,000, you, you will always have a business cost because these turnovers don't come from nothing. Correct. I mean, remember the, the job saver, it's a percentage of your payroll. It's a percentage of costs. So it's, you've already got those payroll costs. You've got $100 of payroll. You're only going to get a $40 grant. So you've got expenses to meet that. 
Now, the trick that's coming out and becoming evident will be interesting to see how this flows, should there be audits or investigations, is the grants have now been deemed non-assessable, non-exempt income, which means they're not taxable income to go on your tax return. That potentially has an impact for whether you're allowed to deduct the expenses or not. And the tax office are working on clarifying that information going forward. So right now, yes, you get the grant. It comes in. It's not assessable income. And long as you've got expenses to spend that money on, um, you've met the eligibility requirement. I mean, it was the same with the uh, cash flow boost. The cash flow boost was also none, and there wasn't any discussion that the um, expenses weren't tax deductible. But of course, the reason was because the cash flow boost was basically meant to cover pays you go withholding. And hence, Correct. The, the foundation hence, principle behind cash flow boost was a little bit different because it was the return to you or calculated on your payroll, on your POIG withholding. So that was different. Yeah. And hence, there wasn't so much an issue of deductibility. But now, of course, these grants are to cover business expenses. And of course, those are tax deductible, hence, hence the question. Correct. And we don't have a definitive answer on that at the moment. Our recommendation is you continue to book those expenses as you did in the past. If they end up saying that any expenses towards that grant are non-deductible, it's pretty easy to go, I received 40000 so therefore 40000 of my expenses are not deductible. Yeah, so then why not just make them accessible? You know, <laughs> it would be much easier to then book the whole thing as accessible and have the business expenses run through the books as usual. Yeah, it takes us into the worlds of politics and announcements, and I, I don't think we need to answer that. We could be debating that for a while. So we basically have two periods. We have the turnover period, which is at least a fortnight during June slash July slash August. So we have the turnover period and we have the comparison period. If we start with the turnover period, for the business grant, it's a two-week period between the 26th of June to the 17th of July, but it is a minimum two-week period. So that means you could also choose a period that is 15 days or 20 days or any number of days as long as it's at least 14 days, correct? Correct. And the guidance changed on this a little bit. Heidi, which is a, a bit of a call out because originally the guidelines and the terms and conditions of the grant was different to the online form. My understanding is the online form is now in sync with the guidelines and the conditions. But you called out some keywords there. It's a minimum two-week period. So you can choose three weeks if that works for you. You can choose a four-week reporting period if that works for you. Clearly, that uh, one 26 June to 17 July is what? That's 21 days. So you've only got a three-week period in there. For the other grants, we've now got a longer period. You can choose that minimum of two weeks uh, because it's going through to stated today as of the 28th of August. And hopefully, uh, we can all hope that New South Wales is out of lockdown by then. But I can see that 28th of August date being extended. Yes. Good. So that's the turnover period. So now we come to the comparison period. And I think that changed. First, the comparison period was the same period in 2019. 
then it was extended to the 2020s. Or if you only started in 2021, then a similar period in 2021. But I think that has been revised and refined now. And it's only now very specific periods in 2019, 2020 or 21. Correct? You've done that well, Heidi. So when they were initially announced, yep, it was all two years ago. And why two years? Because 2020 still was impacted by COVID. So they said that wasn't an indicative period of showing decline. So we go back two years. But then, as you correctly called out, some businesses have started since then. So quite good flexibility that has now been brought into each of the grants um, guidelines same period two years ago, same period one year ago, or between the 11th and 25th of June. You mean the 12th and the 25th of June, correct? Uh, the information I've got sitting in front of me is the 11th, but I, I I'm happy to be corrected. Okay. No, no, that's fine. Okay. So it's the 11th or the 12th, and we, we see how this goes. Are you free to choose the 12th to the 25th of June 2021, or can you only choose... June 2021, if there's a reason that you can't use 2019 or 2020? They're being offered as alternative periods. So, okay, I so you can choose. You can choose. The vanilla assessment or the clean skin will fly through their computer system if you choose the 2019 period. If you choose 2020 or the June dates, I wouldn't be surprised if they want a conversation with you. But if it is really justifiable and really appropriate for your business, then, yep, use the alternate dates. Okay. So if you can go for 2019, if 2020 or 2021 gives you a higher drop in turnover, then go for those, but expect questions to justify why you went for 20 or 2021. Correct. The decline in turnover, cash or accrual? So it's a technical one where Services New South Wales have changed their website about three times in the last 72 hours. It talks about GST turnover. GST turnover is a Commonwealth tax concept. So you drill into the law behind federal tax and the GST scheme. You then look at a particular tax ruling that defines GST turnover and that all comes back to saying you report it, you do the declining calculation based on the same method that you report your business activity statement. So it is a decline is worked on GST turnover definition. If you report on your BAS, the GST on a cash basis, then you're supposed to do the decline on a cash basis. Now, this is where the extension of the periods for the micro-business grant and the job saver program may actually need to be considered by some advisors and their businesses. Because for some businesses, their accrual income will not have dropped in the first couple of weeks of lockdown. But because they won't have any customers in, say, July, their turnover might actually drop in August. So you might actually pick the latter couple of weeks in this lockdown period to do your decline calculation. So absolutely, you report on the same method as BAS, but if cash didn't drop in the first couple of weeks, think about whether your cash dropped in the last, the latter weeks of the lockdown period. Yes, and you have this flexibility for JobSaver, and I think also for the micro-business grant. Correct. 
um, the micro business grant is also a longer period. But for the business grant, you're locked in to the first three weeks. But of course, you could then argue if your turnover didn't drop in the first three weeks, then you clearly don't need the business grant. Yeah, look, that, that's the bit of the argument. We are still asking New South Wales to consider that an alternate test would be to allow cash or accrual as the basis for turnover. And we're hearing some conflicting advice about what services New South Wales are allowing. But right now, all the guidelines, it's whichever method you use to calculate your GST and report it on the BAS. Yes, but I agree with you that there are conflicting informations coming out of Services New South Wales. Because, for example, I spoke to them yesterday about this question and they argued that you can also use the method you use in your tax return. And most tax returns are based on accrual. You can do it on cash, but most tax returns are based on accrual. And hence, it would mean that you do have the flexibility to change to accrual, even if your best is based on cash. Look, and it's one of those issues we have, Heidi, where we're dealing with a call center with people that have been brought in to answer questions in an area that they're not normally working. So when one person rings up and asks about cash or accrual, is that call center person answering the decline in turnover question or are they answering the aggregated annual turnover, annual turnover question? So it depends because those answers are different, remember? Aggregated yes. annual turnover is income tax. Decline in turnover is your GST. So I feel for the call center people who are dealing with hundreds of calls a day each, which question are they actually answering? And if I take the written word that is on their website in three different pages, it's really clear. It's whatever method you use to report GST on your BAS. Okay, good. So your decline in turnover is what you use for your BAS, be good. it cash or accrual. Okay, good. Now, due to the public health order, You had a decline in turnover due to the public health order. What if there are several factors that contributed to the decline? All of the grants, and even if we go back to JobKeeper and um, cash flow boost to an, uh, to an extent, all related to was the business impacted by COVID? Was the in business impacted by the requirements and restrictions of that public health order? So that is the requirement. As advisors, What you would need to do is get that declaration from the business owners that say, yes, our business has declined. We believe it is because of the impact of the restrictions. As advisors, um, as accountants, you would have to do an immense amount of work to prove that the decline was due to the public health order. So I believe uh, what we would do is get a declaration from the business owner And that puts the obligation on the business owner to be honest about their entitlement to these grants. Next question is about maintaining headcount. Even for the uh, business grant, which surprised me because it says for employing businesses, maintain your employee headcount from the 13th of July while receiving payments from this grant. But the, the grant period only goes to the 17th of July. So are they talking about maintaining the headcount from the 13th to the 17th of July? Or is this requirement really redundant for the business grant and it's really only relevant for the um, job saver and the micro business grant who have much longer periods they cover? I'm not sure on that 17 July date, Heidi, and I'm not sure where that, that has come from. The business grant covers the period from the 26th of June to the 17th of July. 
It says in the conditions for the business grant that you must maintain your employee headcount from the 13th of July while receiving payments from this grant. And with this while receiving payments from this grant, do they mean just the period from 13th to 17th of July? So the period that is covered by the business grant? Or do they mean up to when you actually have received the payment? That's a great perspective question, which I haven't had asked of me um, over the, the weeks. So headcount date is 13 July. How many permanent employees, part-time, full-time, or long-term casuals did you have on the book? Do that headcount. You may have even stood them down by 13 July, but your intention is to re-engage them. They stay in your headcount. This is all about an intention to re-engage the employees. So you're quite right that maintaining headcount requirement applies to all of the three grants if you're employing people. So do your headcount on the 13th maintain an intention to re-engage or give them hours, even the casuals that you will re-engage and give them hours when the restrictions are lifted or when you're able to. So for that business grant, which is for those first three weeks that ends, is it your intention to re-engage them when restrictions are lifted? So I think it's not this from the 17th of July you've got to worry about. I think you're still allowed to have them stood down or having no work because you're still under lockdown, you're still under restrictions. You're now on the Job Saver program. You're eligible to receive, keep the business grant and receive the Job Saver payments as long as you maintain that headcount and you don't go and start sacking your people. If they retire or they voluntarily leave, there's situations outside the employer's control, which means they've left your headcount, you won't be disadvantaged. But should somebody leave that's not in your control, you still have an obligation to let Services New South Wales know. So I'm not so hung up about the 17th of July date, Heidi, because we're still in lockdown. Nothing's changed. For businesses that had to stand down their employees, they're still stood down. Do you find that the measures that came out now for New South Wales that they are a lot more business friendly than JobKeeper because with JobKeeper, you had to keep employing your people and you had to continue basically on paying the JobKeeper. So the JobKeeper actually flowed through the business down to the individual employee. Whereas now with JobSaver, the business gets the money, but they don't even need to employ their people. They can stand them all down and they still receive weekly payroll. But even the weekly payroll is linked to the best before the lockdown. So you can have everybody stood down and still collect 40% of your weekly payroll. So they're using payroll as an indicator of how big the business is. So you're quite right. The payment does not have to flow through to the employees. You may have stood down all your staff, but you've still got rent bills. You've still got energy bills. You've still got other expenses of the business. You may be able to employ some of your staff and therefore the grants will help you pay that those bills of some of your staff. In some businesses, you need staff to maintain equipment or maintain premises, even though there's no income coming in the door. That's what the grants are designed to do. The problem with JobKeeper was that employees got the JobKeeper whether they worked or not for the hours that were covered by the JobKeeper. And hence, there was reluctance to come to work because you got the JobKeeper anyway, whereas now the money doesn't have to flow through. Hence, 
employees have an incentive to come to work when there is work because they only get paid when they work. Do you think that's why it was changed from the flow through of JobKeeper? I think that's one of the reasons, absolutely. Primary income source. It says in, I think, all of the grants, it says for non-employing businesses, have your primary income source come from this business. What they're doing here is avoiding, say, me having two different businesses and being able to apply for multiple grants for those different businesses. But ultimately, it just comes back to me. So what they're saying is work out which is your primary business, your main business. That's the one you can apply the grants for. If you have two businesses of your own, um, you can't get the business grant for both. You can't get JobSaver for both. And you as the business owner, it's not the couple or the household. For example, when you have a part-time mum running a small e-commerce business from home and the main breadwinner is actually the husband – Mum's business would still qualify because it is her primary source of income. Correct. And if the company's sole director is the only employee, then it still counts as an employing business and hence this rule doesn't apply anyway. Company's sole director is the only employee and they're on payroll. Yes. Then the business is still a business and the director who was on payroll is an individual. So... Yeah, you're quite right. The business could still go for the grant and the individual who was on payroll could possibly go for the Services Australia disaster payment because that is an employing business and not a non-employing business. And that also now leads to the disaster payments. All the conditions always make a distinction between non-employing and employing businesses. And that, of course, hits the sole traders very hard. So a sole trader themselves who has lost hours, can get the disaster payment. But then they can't apply for the... Then they, correct. They can't apply for the other grant. So they need to do that analysis of which grant um, is more suitable for their business circumstances. Highly impacted industries, why this distinction? I think the only difference is that you need to provide the details of your accountant And you need to attach the tax return. You know, you're basically less vanilla. But why even declare yourself as a highly impacted industry? I can't see any advantage to doing that. So this comes back to the use of the ABN of a business as a real indicator of what that business does and where they are located. And attached to each ABN is the ANZIC code, the industry code that allegedly applies to that business. And the highly impacted list is a list of ANZIC codes and a list of businesses that they've identified, we have impacted you immensely, and it's an ANZIC code list. Uh, what they've allowed is saying, well, you're highly impacted, you're in that list, you can get more money um, for the business grant. If you're not on that list and your ANZIC code doesn't put you on that list, you can still apply for the business grant subject to other evidence. So it is simply a, whether we believe you are highly impacted, we automatically know because of your industry, we'll give you the higher grant. If you're not on that list, give us some additional evidence and we will also give you the higher grant if we're convinced. It's oh, just about the use of ANZIC codes. I see. Okay, so if your ANZIC code is in the highly impacted industry list, 
you basically qualify straight away for the full amount of 15,000. Whereas if you don't, then you have to provide more evidence. Four more questions, but they will be quick. The first one is accounting businesses. There is a comment in it that non-employing accounting businesses shouldn't write their own letter. That comment surprised me because I don't think any accounting business should write their own letter. So why this emphasis on non-employing accounting businesses? Unfortunately, there are some advisors out there who like to find the gaps in rules and bend them to get more money out of government. And there have been some fraud cases and some fraud cases engineered by some interesting advisors. And this was one of the areas that New South Wales government put in place to try to ensure that I could not sign my own letter declaring my own decline in turnover. And they've gone for the independent person has to be able to sign off on that. It's just a level of fraud protection. It just surprises me that they only do it for non-employing accounting businesses. I think it should have been just any accounting business can't write their own letter because now that they only did it for non-employing accounting businesses, it means our sole director, who is the only employee of the um, incorporated accounting business, can still issue a letter for his own company. Yeah, no, I don't believe that's the case. I, I believe the guidelines have tightened up so that if you're related or connected to a business, you should not be signing that letter. Three more questions. Do you have a rough idea how far down the southern border business goes? Is it just Abury and Wodonga or does it go much further south or north? Uh, it has changed the rules from time to time. So I'm hesitant to answer that one for how it applies right now for that period of time. Um, if that applies to you, have a look quite specifically at the grant you're looking at and the region it defines. I know the New South Wales Queensland one, their definitions changed a number of times because of the cross-border issues and the border issues that have evolved. Now, actually applying for the grants, is it possible to actually log in as an advisor and do the grant application for your client on behalf of your client? Is that possible? I wasn't aware that that is possible. Uh, I have two answers. The first answer is the cleanest and best answer for an advisor is to get your client on the end of a Zoom meeting and walk them through doing it themselves. Because technically, the way the system is set up for Services New South Wales is that the person that is listed on the ABR as connected to the ABN is the person or that is allowed to apply for a Services New South Wales profile and connect the business to it. So the business has to connect to an individual's profile and then you log in and then you can submit the form. So the best thing for advisors to do is try to walk your client through that system. We have had a number of advisors who, because the business has no ability to set up their own New South Wales profile, the lack of ability to connect their business to themselves, they're just not that inclined to deal with the government that way. We've had a number of advisors who have connected their client's business to their personal services New South Wales profile and have been able to complete the applications on behalf of their clients. However, we've heard that in recent days, it might have tightened up on the website so that if you're not listed, 
as an authorised person on the ABR, uh, you will not be able to act on behalf of that business. So the only way today, I understand, is you would have to walk your client through filling in the form themselves. But it's quite unusual for a tax agent or accountant to be listed on the ABR as an correct. associate, correct? I've correct. never heard of that. We have challenged New South Wales government about doing a better job of recognising the role of agents and that we should be able to be known as the agent. We're known to the ATO as an agent for that client. So therefore, if we have that relationship, Services New South Wales should allow us to act on their behalf. We're not quite there yet, but that discussion is happening. And then you only need the letter of authority if you act in your role as an advisor and you have connected to your client's services New South Wales account and then you officially do it as their advisor, correct? Only yes. then do you need a letter of authority. If you just walk your client through it and they, it happens in their own name, then of course you don't need a letter of authority. Correct. But engagement letters are a no-brainer here. All this extra work, it should be in a scoped engagement letter. Get the authority from your client to act and advise. Welcome back. So the aggregated annual turnover to see whether you pass the 75k or the 30k threshold, that is the turnover you listed in your 2020 tax return and that is usually based on accrual. So you determine that based on accrual. You basically just go to your tax return and see what you lodged for 2020. The decline in turnover on the other hand, so the decline from the turnover period to your comparison period, That decline is calculated on a cash or accrual basis, depending on what you did in your best. So if you do your best on accrual, then that is what you use to determine the decline of turnover. And if you do your best on cash, then you use cash. So this was a first update about New South Wales payments. Another one will follow soon. And we will also talk next week about the Queensland COVID-19 grant and hopefully also cover Victoria. In the next episode, episode 306 next Monday, Jay Warmbeek of Wow Connect will go through three ERP questions you sent in. Until then, thank you for listening and thank you to Class for their support. Bye for now and see you in the next episode. <music>